<laughs> I'm fired up to be at church. I don't know about y'all. Wow. You know, the Bible says, and a child shall lead them. I, I, want, I want some of Macy and Ace's enthusiasm just to rub off on me and the rest of the church, don't you? That was awesome. Awesome. I love getting fired up about that. I love seeing kids fired up about church, too. That's pretty cool. And by the way, that's just how they are all the time. That they, there was no practice. I mean, maybe a little bit of practice to get used to the lights, but that's just kind of how they live life. So it's really, really cool to see that happening in that way. You know, today we are kicking off a brand new teaching series that I'm very, very fired up about. And I want to begin this teaching series by asking you a question that I hope is fun for you. Now, I know I've already been told by some people in my family that this is not going to be fun for everybody, but I think it's going to be fun for everybody. I really believe that. I want you to call to mind, think about something that you do well. What is something that you are just good at? You're not bragging. You're just telling the truth. You're just like, you know what? I'm, I'm just really good at blank. It may be playing the piano. It may be painting. It could be basketball or badminton. And by the way, don't sleep on badminton. You know Betsy Weinberg, who's singing up here in our worship team? She played college-level badminton. Just telling you, so think about how you want to pay for college and get through it on your own. I just put it out there. Badminton is, a, is an incredible, incredible skill. Um, what, what is something that you do well? Everybody have something? Just raise your hand if you've got something in mind of something that you do well. Raise your hand. You're not being arrogant. You're just telling the truth. Okay? That's great. That's awesome. Now, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about how long did it take you to get good at that thing? How, how long did you have to work and, and hone your craft? You may be thinking right now, well, you know what? I'm not, be honest with you, I know now that I'm not really even that good. I've got so far to go, and I've... I've learned in life, and particularly where skills are concerned, the more you learn, the more you learn you have to learn, you know? I mean, it's, just, it's kind of part of it. I remember, this was probably, I don't know, Julie, 15, 16 years ago, a friend of mine called me. He said, Mac, I'm putting together a fishing trip. I want you to go fishing with us. I said, man, I would love to. He goes, now, here's the deal. It's saltwater fly fishing. I had never in my life picked up a fly rod. I'd never cast one. I'd never done anything like that before in my life. See, I said, all right, I'm, I'm in. So I went to the store, bought a fly rod, and started practicing in the front yard. I mean, I got deadly in the front yard. I, I, would, I would just kind of, there we go. I was doing this one time in an Easter sermon a while back, and um, this lady down here in the, in the front section she, she got like a little apprehensive and then she just got mean spirits. She goes, he's gonna hook someone with that thing. <laughs> My son Joe was sitting right in front of her. Joe's got a deep-seated loyalty gear. He was so offended on my behalf. He turned, anyway, it was a whole, nother, whole thing we had to talk about at lunch that day. But, <clears throat> so when I got the fly rod, I started, like, I was just like, like, dude, I mean, I was, come on, I'd never cast it before and I, and like, when I first started casting, I would end up with a pile of spaghetti at my feet. The fly, because here's the thing. When you're, you know, whenever you 
are fishing in salt water. It's different in the mountains. Mountains are beautiful. You're usually in a kind of a protected area. Where, but when you're fishing in salt water, the wind blows. Look at that. Can we get a microscopic close-up of that? That thing weighs less than an ounce. When you're trying to cast that into the wind, it is a problem of physics. It does not want to go. And so as I was practicing in the front yard, I was getting frustrated. The fly wasn't going. The line wasn't going. It wasn't doing what I, was, what I thought it was going to do. I was getting ready to have to pay this money to go on this trip, and I wasn't going to be able to do it. So I went, and I found somebody who knows how to cast. I got a lesson. Actually, I got several lessons. And he explained to me, he said, Mac, he goes, here's the thing you got to remember. The fly rod is built to cast a fly. I said, wait a minute, you're going too fast. He said, the fly rod will do the work if you'll just let it do the work. He said, the more you do, the less you do. Let the rod do the work. And lo and behold, I started casting a little bit farther, a little bit more accurately, less spaghetti at my feet. Man, when we got down to the flats and we were fishing and, and, and we were in the Bahamas, but when I say the Bahamas, don't think like Atlantis and resort. I'm talking about third world jungle living, and the guides are unbelievable. They can see fish that you don't even know are there. And I'll never forget the first day I was, I was on a flat with a fly rod in my hand, and the guide goes, hey, man, there they come. I go, there who come? Because these, these bonefish are perfectly camouflaged in this water. It's unbelievable. He goes, man, they're right there. You, can't you see them? Can't you see them? I go, no, I can't. He goes, just give me the cast at 1 o'clock, about 45 feet. I was so excited. I started doing this thing again. <laughs> Spaghetti at my feet. And he goes, man, 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 slow down your cast. And I remember, let the rod do the work. Let the rod do the work. Finally, late that afternoon, I presented a fly somewhat successfully, and this poor, dumb little bonefish ate it. Now, the thing about a bonefish is when you hook a bonefish, they're, they're just kind of swimming through the water, ambling, but when they hook, they take off screaming across the flats. They are so fast. It's like a little muscle missile in the water, and they rooster tail your line through the water. It's some of the most fun you can have on the planet. When I hook this bonefish, put it out there, I just put the butt of the rod in my belly button and giggled. It was some of the most fun I had ever had. But I had to learn and develop the skill of casting a fly, particularly in the wind. Now, I will tell you, in, in total transparency, I am today, 15 years later, Honestly, I'm an average angler. I, maybe, maybe on a great day, I'm a hair above average. Now, I've got friends. Man, they fish all the time. David Hughes lives in Fort Lauderdale. He fishes. It's unbelievable. But anyway, you heard David preach here for me before. But these, I, I know people who are great at it. But I've developed this skill because I enjoy it. And the better I get at it, the more enjoyable it is. Skills have to be developed. What you're good at, you had to practice. You had to learn. You had to 
develop. And this teaching series that we're kicking off today, skill set, is anchored in the fact that spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, is a skill that has to be developed. No one has ever in the history of ever drifted into spiritual growth and maturity. Nobody has just kind of woke up one day and gone, I am so spiritually mature. It's crazy. I don't know. I guess I read the right stuff. And I don't, and, and it doesn't happen that way. It, it, is, it is actually a, a compendium of skills. It, it requires multiple skills that we're going to look at over the next few weeks together because I believe with everything I have, it is God's will for you to grow. Spiritual growth is not something that just happens, but neither is it something that is reserved for the elite who just get it. It is absolutely available to you, to me, to all of God's children. It is absolutely there for the taking. Right now, I want you to encourage your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor with a smile on your face, encouraging, tell them, even you can do this. Some of you need to work on the skill of encouragement. <laughs> because I know what happened too. Some of you wives looked at your husband and you went, oh, you know, even you can do this. But it's there for the taking. The skills required for spiritual growth, for spiritual maturity. In Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible is explaining some of the roles that God has established within the church for, for pastors and teachers and evangelists who are put in place to develop, to disciple people, to, to grow in their faith, to grow in Christ-likeness. And within this explanation, the Bible says something absolutely fascinating about this. We're going to put the verse on the screen behind me. If you've got your Bibles, you can look in Ephesians chapter 4. But when I get to the highlighted words on the screen, I'd, I'd love to make this a little more interactive. I would love for us to read the highlighted words out loud together. When people are developed and de discipled and they develop skills of spiritual growth, this is what happens. The Bible says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, here we go in just a second. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. More and more like Christ, growing in every way. So the, what that's telling me as I read that and I begin to think about it, that means that every single part of my life is fair game for the Holy Spirit of God. Every single part. There is not one part of my life that 
is not open to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's something I can tell you just based on track record. Every single time I have invited, every single time I have allowed God's Holy Spirit into my life to, to work on an area that needed work, by the way. And that, that's a painful admission in and of itself, isn't it? But every single time I have done that, my entire life's getting, gotten better. It gets better. The more you invite Christ in, the more you invite the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life, the better everything gets. It's just what happens when God goes to work in our lives. You see, this work happens the second a person comes to faith in Christ. They are now enrolled in the school of Christ-likeness. That, they, that we enter into this process. The Bible calls this process sanctification. The word sanctification means to be made holy. It's a process. We come to faith in Christ. We are saved once and for all. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of judgment. We are, it is done. But then begins the work of growing, of maturing. It's kind of like when somebody gets married. You, you, can, you can stand at the altar and look lovingly into each other's eyes and I do, I do, I do. And you may kiss the bride and all that kind of stuff. But that's just the wedding, Jack. Jackie, now comes the work of the marriage. Can I tell you, when I married Julie Richard, August the 10th, 1991, I knew, I knew it was the right move. I had no clue what I was doing. No idea what it meant to really and truly husband my wife. By the same token, when I came to faith in Christ, I, I was a little guy. I, I grew up, I was very fortunate and blessed to have grown up in a church. And, I, and I, I understood the realities of heaven and hell and that, that Jesus Christ forgives us, forgives us of our sins. And so I, I knew that I wanted that, but it, I didn't really know until a few years later what it meant to have a relationship with God. You know, one, one of the great, great memories of my life growing up is vacation Bible school. How many of us adults ever went to vacation Bible school? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, now we're, we're talking old school VBS, right? We're talking about, you know, popsicle sticks and yarn, God's eyes, remember those? Graham crackers and Kool-Aid, snack time. You, you, you get the drill. Well, in just a moment, I want to share with you something that happened in VBS back in the day that I believe with everything I have needs to be happening in a new and fresh way. The skill that we're going to talk about this week as we launch this series is the skill of learning and living the Bible. The skill of learning and living the Bible. And I cannot overstate the significance of the combination of those two. Now, obviously, if you're going to live it, you got to learn it. But you can learn it and never live it. It's, it's in the living out of the Word of God that, that the power of God 
is manifest. The power of God reveals itself. It is demonstrated. Jesus himself said when he was tempted, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said, my food is to do the will of my Father. What he was saying there is, spiritually speaking, what sustains me is doing the will of God, is learning it and then living it out. And so when we think about Scripture, when we think about the Word of God, we have to understand what's going on. Now, a skill, a skill is a fascinating thing. This is how Webster's defines the word skill. A, a skill is not something you were born with. You were born with the color hair that you have or, or had at some point. But a skill, this is what Webster says a skill is. It is a learned power of doing something competently, a developed aptitude or ability. So this is something that we learn how to do. We, we develop this aptitude. We develop this ability through repetition, through practice. But remember, we're not just learning the Word of God so that we can regurgitate it like so much of our schoolwork gets done. We're, we're, we're trying to incorporate it into our lives. We want to ingest the Word of God. We want it to become a part of who we are. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is alive and active. Folks, this is not just another book. This is the Word of God. He has supernaturally communicated it to people like you and me, flawed to be sure, but in his supernatural power and wisdom, he protected the communication. He has protected the translation of it so that what we have, we can rely on, we can trust it. It is the word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That means that, that means that the Bible punctures our pretense. The Bible cuts through the clutter that we create in life, and, and it goes to the very heart of who we are. I think that's why so many people have such a problem with the Bible, because it, it does, in fact, reveal the thoughts and attitudes of my heart. And there are times when I read the Bible, and I'm like, ooh, that is really inconvenient. There are times when, when I've, I've read Scripture, I'm like, golly, I wish that would, or there are other times when I've read Scripture, and I've been like, what in the world? In those moments, I have to come back to the reality that God is good and God is perfect. If there's something I don't understand about the Bible, it's not God's problem. It's a, it's a Mac problem. It's, it's something in my intellect that can't quite get there or hasn't gotten there yet. So the word of God is alive and active. 2 Timothy chapter 3 the Bible says all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What an incredible, incredible promise. This, this book is, is useful. It's there because God loves us. And so it's incumbent upon us to learn it and to live it, to develop this, 
skill within our lives. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Psalm chapter 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And, by the way, the whole thing just so happens to be about the Word of God. It is an entire chapter devoted to the Word of God. Almost every single verse in its 176 verses talks about the commands of God, the precepts of God, the laws of God, the Word of God, and the gift and the blessing that it is. We are not going to cover all 176 verses today. But what I do want to do is just pull a little section, just, just a little bit, that shows us how we are to ingest Scripture, how we are to, to process the Word of God. Now, what's interesting about, I think this is interesting about Psalm 119, is it's an acrostic poem. The Hebrew alphabet that Psalm 119 was originally written in has 22 letters. There are 22 sections of Psalm 119 according to each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each line of each section begins with that letter in that thing. It's a piece of poetic genius is what it is. And just so you know, 22 times 8 is 176. I did the math. But this passage, starting with verse 9, I think gives us an amazing insight into how we learn Scripture and how do we live it out. This is what the Bible says, verse 9 through 16. Now, how can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all of the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Just eight verses. Just eight, eight verses out of 176. But there is so much here for us to pull out and put into practice. Number one, the first thing that you see there, how can a young person stay pure? First thing that we need to think about, refine your life through Scripture. Refine your life. Purify your life through Scripture. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. There are parts of God's word that will never make sense until you obey them. And I love that it says, how can a young person keep their way pure? It's, it's this idea of anti-corruption. You see, God has created every single one of us. He's called us into this relationship. Now, sin, my sin, your sin, corrupts God's ideal. But the way that we fight that corruption, the way that we fight that brokenness is through obedience to God's word, by living out, by doing what he says. 
And it's in that refining fire that we, we purify our lives. We begin to come back to what it was we were created for, to what it is God is calling us to. And we do that through obedience, through, through not cutting corners morally, spiritually, ethically, but we refine our lives through Scripture. You stay pure, uncorrupted through the Word of God. Then it says, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. Refine your life. But number two, pursue God in Scripture. Pursue God in Scripture. Please, 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 please do not treat this like another book. This is a love letter. This is a love letter from God to you. Recently, Julie and I were doing some work in our house, and we were, we were cleaning out the attic, and I found a box, a box of old love letters that she had written to me when we were in college. It was, it was a treasure trove. This girl was in love. <laughs> and I have to tell you something. I stood in our garage, and I read them word for word. She was in college in Waco at a little junior college up there. And I was here at God's favorite university. But the things that she would write, I, I can't wait to see you. I, I can't wait to be married to you. I, I just, I was just like, man. And it just, it just got me fired up again. Like that, that, I remember that. The word of God is his love letter to you. It's every page of scripture points us toward Christ. The greatest expression of love that the world has or ever will know. So pursue God. Yes, learn what the Bible says, but learn what it says on the way to knowing God in this relationship. Number three, he says, I've hidden your word in my heart. Treasure scripture. Treasure the Bible. The more you live by this word, the more you know of this word, you, you'll begin to, to find it a source of life. You'll begin to find it a source of hope. And you'll, you'll treasure it. You know, you, you, you learn over time what, what your friends like and dislike. And the closer they are to you, the more you work to not hack them off. <laughs> treasure scripture. I've hidden it in my heart. I've got it memorized, but I, I didn't memorize it just so I could dazzle people at cocktail parties. I memorized it so I could hide it in my heart so it became a part of who I am. Number four, celebrate scripture. Celebrate. I rejoice in your laws. Now, for some of you, that may sound crazy. Well, rejoice, celebrate the laws of God, all the thou shalts, thou shalt nots. Remember, God is love. It's not something he does, it's who he is. And so if he's given us a command or, 
a prohibition of some sort. It's because he loves us. And so we should celebrate that. Live it out and celebrate it. Number five, study scripture. Study scripture. I will study your commandments. I will will learn what this book says. I will learn that it's divided into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. 66 books total, some of it history, some of it law, some of it poetry, some of it theology. But I, I will study your commandments. Number six, meditate on Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. And I know for some people the word meditate freaks you out. Like, you know, kind of woo-woo energy, whatever. Don't, don't let it be. I will meditate on the word of God. That's a biblical concept. I will ponder, I will contemplate, I will think about the word of God. I will reflect on your ways. I will think deeply on the word of God. I'm not gonna just hydroplane through God's love letter. I'm gonna learn it. I'm gonna study it, but man, I'm also gonna think about it. I'm gonna gonna ponder these things in my heart. And then number seven may just absolutely knock you out of your seat. This is the final one, by the way. Enjoy scripture. Enjoy scripture. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. I will delight in your word. Trust me when I tell you that is a learned skill. That takes some time and some practice. But man, once you start to see it happen, once you start to see the word of God taking root and bearing fruit, that's when you start, oh, 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 I, I get it. It's kind of like me on that flat with the fly rod. You know, I was, <laughs> but man, when, when I felt that line load and I saw the fly go where it was supposed to go, all of a sudden I understood what the teachers had been teaching. I felt it. I experienced it. And then I wanted to do it again. I wanted to catch another bonefish. Catch another bigger bonefish. And it was a delight. When when you get good at something, it it becomes a delight. It's fun. I will delight in your decrees. I will delight. I will enjoy the word of God. Now, I have to tell you this too. I've been doing this for a minute. I went to seminary. I've studied Greek and Hebrew. Hebrew is horrible. It is the worst language in the world to study. But I'm glad I did it. But it was terrible. And there are still parts of this word that are tough for me. There's still parts of this that I'm like, holy. And that's when I come back and I just pray, God, show me, teach me. I believe, even with this part that is hard to understand or tough to get my mind around, or doesn't make sense with what I know about you already. 
but I believe you are good. And I believe you know better than I do. I know you're smarter than I am. So teach me. Show me. Help me develop the skill of learning and living out your word. John chapter 1. The apostle John is introducing his audience to the person of Jesus Christ. It's that famous passage of scripture that begins, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Using that word, word, as a label for Jesus Christ. In the Greek, it's the word logos. But in verse 14, he says something so, so extravagant. But I think it, I think it's the heartbeat of everything we've been talking about so far. The Bible says the word became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. This word is about the word. The son of God. Jesus Christ who became one of us and became flesh. That's the the incarnation. I love the word incarnation. Jesus left heaven to become one of us. He put on flesh and bone. You can always remember incarnation. It's like, like chili con carne. It's chili with meat. Jesus, Jesus' grace and truth with flesh, in the flesh. And he went to the cross, as we talked about in communion this morning, he went to the cross and there became my sin, became your sin. Everything you've ever done wrong, everything you've ever been ashamed of, he took it on himself. In a miraculous, supernatural, spiritual transaction. And because he took it on himself, he died. It wasn't just the physical death that came from a Roman cross. It was the spiritual death that comes from sin the corruption, the brokenness that every one of us is born into. If you can tell, I'm I'm smiling a little bit because of the end of the story. Because he rose from the dead. 
He rose from the dead with the offer of new life for anyone who would believe in him, anyone who would follow him. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, if you've never claimed him personally, we want to invite you to do it right now. To believe that he died for you, that he rose from the dead for you, and that if you would trust him more than you trust yourself, you will be forgiven and invited into this relationship of grace and truth. To begin that process of becoming, of growing in every way more and more like Christ. If that's you today, then pray just something like this. Just silently from your heart to God say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead for me. And in this moment, I accept. I believe. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I will give you my life and I will follow you. from this moment forward. I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for a moment, just just a moment, but a sacred moment. If that was your prayer, as a church, we wanna help with what comes next, And we'll explain that in just a second, but right now as our heads are bowed, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that as a family with you, we celebrate and honor that. And our family tradition is you put your hands down, we put our hands together and we tell you, welcome home.